You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. As I begin this morning, uh, I'm going to begin by asking several questions. First question is this. Um, how many of you uh, had opportunities this week to take up the towel and love like Jesus? And just think about it. You don't have to answer else. You can, but you don't have to. How many of you had opportunities to take up the towel and love like Jesus? Second question. Um, what opportunities did you have to demonstrate the love of Jesus by simply serving someone? What opportunities did you have to demonstrate the love of Jesus by serving them? And finally, what opportunity did you have to uh, love someone that you or someone else has written off as being unlovable? Hmm. Now, for those of you who are wondering, why is he asking those questions last weekend... Um, I'm glad you asked that question, I can tell you. Uh, last weekend, we started a new teaching series, in the series, three-week series. This is week two, and the series is called Love Like Jesus. And so last weekend, as we stepped into that series, the first message was um, uh, about Jesus washing the, the disciples' feet. But within that message, we identified three things that were very significant to Jesus and his public ministry. And those three things were that Jesus revealed the love of God. Jesus revealed the love of God. How did he do that? Well, Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus revealed the love of God because he died for us. He took our place. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us so much that he gave his son. Jesus loved us so much, he revealed the love of the Father by willing to come. So that's the first thing that we identified. The second thing that we identified is that um, uh, Jesus displayed the love of God. Jesus displayed the love of God. How did he do that? He did that in many ways throughout his public ministry. uh, But uh, the most significant way was on the cross. And not just through his death, that being the ultimate, but that... Uh, As Jesus was going to the cross, he was beaten, and then he was placed on the cross, nails driven through his hands and feet. His onlookers ridiculed him, mocked him, a criminal by his side challenged him. And in the midst of that, rather than taking offense, rather than letting a seed of bitterness be planted, rather than beginning to nurse a grudge, what did he do? He displayed the love of God because he said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. So rather than hold unforgiveness, he, he displayed the forgiveness that comes from the Father. And then finally, uh, we identified the fact that uh, Jesus empowered us to love. And how did he do that? He did that through his example, all throughout his public ministry. One of the most significant examples is what we looked at last week, is that Jesus, uh, at the last Passover meal with his disciples, while none of the disciples were willing to wash all the dirty feet in the room because they were self-centered and self-focused, we believe, uh, uh, Jesus, and, uh, while the disciples were arguing among the, uh, themselves at the table about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom, Jesus gets up from the table. He walks over to where the towel is. He takes, the, he takes off his outer robe. He places the towel around him. He takes the wash basin, and he goes from disciple to disciple, and he washes their dirty feet. He washes their dirty feet. He washed the feet of Judas, the betrayer. He washed the feet of Jesus, of John, the beloved disciple. He washed the feet of uh, 
Thomas the doubter. He washed all the disciples' feet. He washed the feet of, of Peter, uh, who would deny him later that night three times. He, dis, he, he revealed, he displayed, he modeled what it's like to love. And he did that by his example, that serving. Because he said in the end, he said, this is what I would have you do for one another. And I really don't believe that he was commending the annual foot washing. I said that last week, but he said it in the same way that I have loved by serving you one another. That's how you're supposed to love. That's, that's what Jesus did when we learned to love like Jesus. So today, as I step into the message, I'm going to begin with what I think you might think is kind of an odd question, especially at 10.08 in the morning, uh, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And, and, so, and you don't have to answer this out loud. You can blurt it out, but you might embarrass yourself. Um, uh, think about this, and, and this is for men and women. It might seem like this is a ladies' question. No, it's, a, it's, it's, it's everybody. Um, how many tables do you have in your house? I just saw Laurel, Laurel Conders goes. <laughs> I think about it for a minute. I'm talking about every kind of table. Coffee table, end table, bedside table, dining room table, kitchen table. How, how many tables do you have in your house? So now you've had a, you just did a really quick survey of your house. Some of you thought, oh, I forgot to turn the oven off before I came to church this morning. Um, how many of you have at least five tables in your house? Raise your hand. Yeah, most everybody in the room. Uh, how many of you have, put your hands down, how many of you have uh, at least 10 tables in your home? Raise your hand. Still a good crowd. Put your hands down. How many of you say, I have 15 or more tables in my home? Raise your hand. Too many. Too many. Yeah, there's still 20. Should we go, do I hear 20? Do we have 20 or more tables? We'll stop. We'll stop there. There is a reason. There is a reason that I'm asking. I wanted to get you thinking. Uh, now, when you survey all of those tables in your home, if you think about all of those tables, which is the most significant table in your home? Out of all of the tables that you have in your house, antique, whatever, uh, what is the most significant table? And I'm going to go ahead and answer it for you because I believe that for most everyone in the room, uh, if you have furniture in your house, if you have tables in your house, that it's, it's going to be the family table. The, the table where your family gathers, the, the table where you have a meal together, the table that you share conversations together with. It's the table where you laugh together. It's the table where you cry together. It's the table where you work out conflict together. Uh, I would say that that has to be the most significant table in the home. The, the family table, the family table plays a central role in the home. Do you agree with that? Yeah, the family table. Well, not only does the table play a central role in the, in, in the family, but the, central, the table played a central role in the life of Jesus. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to look at Luke chapter 5. I'm actually going to read to you a, a very familiar passage. It's familiar because we refer to it a, a couple of times um, during our last series, Live on Mission. Uh, but it's very applicable here. Luke chapter 5, uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 27 and read through 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The, the, uh, the part of 
that passage that's applicable is that Jesus calls Levi a sinner and um, Levi follows him, and then he, in his home, he throws this great banquet for Jesus. So if there's a banquet, and there were a lot of people there, can you imagine that there were a lot of tables throughout that home where something was going to happen, where Jesus was going to interact with people, where Jesus was going to spend time with people who were spiritually sick, something of significance was going to happen around the table. And in this uh, passage in Luke, it's not the only place we find it through through throughout the Gospels. For instance, in Luke chapter 19, verse 5, Jesus shares a meal with Zacchaeus, who is another tax collector. In Matthew 26, 7, Jesus shares a meal with Simon the leper. In Luke 7, 36, Jesus shares a meal with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Um, in, um, Luke, uh, in John chapter 13, we read this last week, Jesus shares a Passover meal, the last Passover meal with his disciples. In Luke 11, uh, verse 37, Jesus Jesus shares a meal with a Pharisee who gets upset because Jesus did not wash before the meal. Um, In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and 38, Jesus shares a meal with a sinful woman who uh, in turn washes his uh, feet with the tears that she cries and then she dries his feet with his hair. There was something significant in the life of Jesus about the table. In fact, one commentator says the Gospel of Luke tells about 10 milestones in the life of Jesus, and each one takes place at a meal. Each one of those milestones takes place at a meal. He goes on to say that Jesus was so ready to share a meal with the people that the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. You find that in Luke chapter 15, verse 2. The table was central to the life of Jesus, sharing a meal. But I think that it was more than just sharing a meal. It was about the conversation that happened. Listen, this morning, the the thing that I want to get across when we're talking about how to love like Jesus is that we can love like Jesus at the table. There is a spiritual principle held in Scripture to the table. Um, When we think about the table, uh, of course we think about food, right? And when we think about food, we think about we need food for nourishment and we need food for survival. Um, Here's what I want to say. I don't really think about those things when I think about food. I think about, oh, I love me some good food. And I think about, I love to eat. And I think about how happy food makes me, as you can tell. It just makes me happy. It just makes me smile until afterwards. But I don't think you're different than me. I think that you think about food in the same way. But listen, again, what I want to say this morning is uh, could there be more? Uh, Could it be that the table has great significance to our spiritual well-being, our spiritual growth, our spiritual development. I, I, I suppose what I'm really saying is, is there more to the table than we've recognized? Have we taken the table for granted? Is there something of great spiritual significance? Is there a principle to the table that we have yet to fully embrace and fully recognize? Is there something about the table that would teach us how to better love like Jesus? And the answer is yes. There is a spiritual principle to the table. There is a spiritual principle to the table. 
The table principle can be found not just in the life of Jesus, not just in the New Testament, but the, the, the table principle, if you, if you look at Scripture, if you do a, 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 an examination closely of Scripture, you find that the table principle existed throughout Scripture. Um, depending on what translation you would use, um, you can find approximately 137 references to the table in both the Old and New Testament. 137 references. Obviously, I can't take you through all 137 references this morning, but I do want to take you through about 10 of the most significant ones. I'm going to do this real quickly. In Exodus 25:23, we read, Make a table. In Exodus 25:30. It says, put the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. In Exodus 37:16, they made from pure gold the articles for the table, its dishes, cups, bowls, and pitchers. 2 Samuel 9, 7, you shall eat at my table regularly. 2 Kings 25, 29, for the rest of his life, he ate regularly at the king's table. Psalm 23, 5, this is very familiar to us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 128, 3 says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in your house, your children like olive plants around the table. Matthew 26, 20 says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with his twelve disciples. Mark 16, 14 says, Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And finally, in Luke chapter 22, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says, Just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. There is a principle to the table. There is a spiritual principle to the table. There's something about the table that helps us understand how to be like Jesus and how to love like Jesus because significant things always happen around the table. Think about just throughout your life. Think about some of your most memorable times and I would imagine that some of those happened over meals. Some of those happened around the table where there was joy, where there was laughter. Sometimes it's because a challenging conversation has to happen. But something significant happens around the table. Interestingly enough, the very first reference to the table that I read, Exodus 23, 25, 23, may be the most significant. In Exodus 25, 23, we read, make a table. I say that it might be one of the most significant because it was actually God who spoke that. God was speaking to Moses. God was giving Moses the instruction for this portable tabernacle that the children of Israel were to build and carry with them throughout their desert wanderings. And as he spoke, he spoke and he said, make a table. And not only did he give the instruction to make a table, but he gave the design for the table. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. He gave the design for the table. And not only did he give the design for the table, but the table had a purpose. This table that he's saying make for the tabernacle, it had a purpose. It was a time of transition. God was transitioning how he would uh, relate to his people. He was, transition, he was in the process of transitioning his relationship. It was going to look different uh, after the Exodus as if before it had in, in the book of Genesis. When we read through the book of Genesis, we find that God uh, spoke, God revealed himself to specific people at specific times 
at his will, at his choosing. God spoke to specific people at specific times, at his choosing, and at his will. But not so after the Exodus. In fact, after the Exodus, he made it known that he was going to relate to his people in a different way because he gave instruction to build a, 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 this tabernacle, to, 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 to build a dwelling place where his spirit, where his presence would continually dwell with the people. In fact, in Exodus twenty-five twenty-eight, it says, construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. He was transitioning how he was going to relate to the people. It wasn't going to be at specific times to specific people, but now he was going to dwell in their, his presence would dwell with them continually. Um, the plan that he gave included the furniture that would find its place in this tabernacle, in this portable tabernacle. And the first piece of furniture that he said to build was the Ark of the Covenant. But the second piece of furniture that he said to build was, he said, make, make a table. It's very significant. He said, make a table for this place where my presence is going to dwell among the people continually. Um, the table that he gave instruction to build appears to be different than any other table that had existed up to that time, at least when we look through, back through archaeology and, and history. Up to that time, it would appear that the Egyptians, a, a table in, for ancient Egyptians would have just been like a stone mound or a, 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 a metal a platform that was raised somewhat off the ground just simply to keep something off, off the floor. But this table, he gave very specific instruction for the design, and it's different than those ancient Egyptian tables. And this is what he said. When you make the table, he said the table is to be three feet long. It's to be a foot and a half wide, and it's to be 27 inches high. Three feet long, one and a half feet wide and 27 inches high. So this week, I was uh, on Wednesday, I was at home preparing for this message. And so I said, well, there's something here. There's a table principle here. And so I went and I got uh, Cammie's blue measuring tape from her, wherever we keep it. And um, I took it and I measured our dining room table. And sure enough, our dining room, our dining room table was 30 inches high. So our dining room table, the, the table that, that God gave design to build, was about table height of our family table. Maybe just a, a little bit smaller, a little bit shorter. I think that that's very significant, that God is giving instruction to build a table, and it appears that it's a table different than anything that's ever existed before. And this table is the same height where, uh, though this wasn't the purpose there, that it's the same height as the kind of tables that we sit together around uh, in our home as a family now. There was something significant about the table. Um, he said that the table was to be made of very durable uh, desert acacia wood. And then he, he actually, uh, further with the design, he said, and it's to be trimmed in, in gold. Now, I started thinking about that, and as I did just a little research, you know, if you think about the tables in your home, probably none of you have a table trimmed in gold. I, I don't think so. I think we're past that design era. But... Um, if you think about it, your table probably has some kind of border around it, some kind of molding. it. There's a finish work around it, much like the table that, that God gave design to build. Um, probably what was most important, though, was the purpose of the table. 
This table, when God said make a table, the table was known as the table of showbread. The table of showbread. And on the table of showbread that was going to go into the tabernacle, and, and when it did go in the tabernacle, this three, three feet long, one and a half foot wide, 27 inches high table, had um, uh, 12 flat round loaves of uh, bread on it. And they were placed in orderly fashion. We don't really know how they were placed, but if you see uh, someone rendering what it might look like, usually you would see two stacks of six. That's, they were flat, almost like pancake kind of, in the six and six. And they were um, uh, uh, significant of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, so you have this table, you have this bread, the, 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 the showbread. Um, the showbread... Uh, that was placed on this table was uh, exchanged every Sabbath. So every Sabbath, uh, a new set of bread, 12 new loaves would be brought out. The, the, the bread that had been there would be removed from the table, and the 12 new loaves would be placed on the table. But they didn't throw the old loaves away. This was now the food for the priests. It became nourishment for the priests, that the priest would eat this food. Now... Here's the significance of the showbread. And this is what, just follow me on this, because this all, this all begins to tie into what we do at, at our tables. Um, the, the, the bread, the showbread on the table was a type. Um, it, was, it, it looked ahead to Jesus. The, the table, the, the bread on the table was a representation of Jesus. So how do you know that, Pastor Stan? Well, take your Bibles. <laughs> Turn to John chapter 6. Look at verse 35. I'm going to connect all this. Promise. John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared... Listen to this. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst. What is Jesus? The bread of life. The bread that was placed on the table represented the bread of life that was yet to come. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So here's what that means. The bread that was placed on the table of showbread in the tabernacle, in the holy place, Jesus was the centerpiece of that table. Jesus was the centerpiece of the table. Now, we begin to connect that to our tables today. I'm going to push down just a little bit deeper. The showbread was also known as the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence. The bread was symbolic of the presence of God. It, it was a representation of Jesus. Uh, it was the presence of God. And so remember I said that the priest would take the bread that was removed from the table and eat it? I want you to think about this literally. So what happened is when the priest took the bread that had been dedicated to God, the bread of the presence, as he ate the bread, God and man came face to face. Isn't that incredible? Literally, God and man came face to face. So the table 
in the in the tabernacle was a place of relationship with God. It was a place of communion. It was a place where God and man experienced relationship together. The purpose of the table was for feeding. It was for fellowship. It was for communion with God. It was at the table of God that man experienced the presence of God. Now I want you to think about your table in your home. Here's the table principle. It's when you set the table, whether that table's in your home, whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's in the break room at work with your coworkers, that table is a place where Jesus Christ can be the centerpiece and where there can be communion and fellowship with God. We have to be intentional about it, but that's what should be happening. The design, God's design for the table, in my opinion, has not changed in any way whatsoever. We should come to the table with a supernatural anticipation, expecting to experience the presence of God at the table. Pastor Stan, are you talking about when we have communion? No, I'm talking, yes, yes, I mean, yes, that's supposed to happen. But I'm talking about wherever we might set a table. The table doesn't have to be fancy, but every table should have Jesus Christ as the centerpiece. Can you imagine how different we would be, how different the world would be? We should come to the table with a supernatural anticipation, expecting to experience the presence of God at the table. You might say, well, gosh, I have to say, our family meals don't really look like that. They don't look very good. Think about Thanksgiving last year. Oh, my goodness. Listen, um, the table is a sacred gathering, but it doesn't have to look religious. It doesn't have to look churchy. Actually, it should look very natural. Remember, though, we've been talking about for several weeks now that we carry the presence of Jesus with us wherever we go. We are the tabernacle. We are the temple of God. The Spirit of God lives in us. And so when we come to the table, who do we bring to the table with us? We bring Jesus. We bring Jesus to the table with us. And so as we sit at the table, we have the opportunity to make him the centerpiece. We don't have to scare people away and say, so Jesus, 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 Jesus. It, it's, not, it's not like that. It's that, that we demonstrate, we love them while we're at the table and they experience Jesus. So with all of this in mind, let me ask this question. Where are the best places to eat? A little different than what you might be thinking. Where are the best places to eat? Where are some of the most natural places to set the table that allows us to experience the supernatural presence of God? I'll give you three. They are in your notes. Number one, we experience the supernatural presence of Jesus as we set the table at our home. That's kind of been my focus, but I want to talk about that. Uh, If you will, you want to look in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 42. I'm sorry, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now listen to this. They broke bread 
in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, This passage that I just read is a reflection of the early church after it was birthed. And in that early church, they were experiencing the table principle. They were coming together in homes for meals. And as they did, they experienced the joy of the Lord. They experienced the presence of God. And God added to them daily. Uh, We can set the table in our home, around the family table. Um, Family meal time in the home... Uh, is becoming increasingly more less likely to happen. Why? Because of um, a competing culture and our own scheduling conflicts. But here's what I want to say. Plan on setting the table in your home. It doesn't have to be... You don't have to do a feast. It's it's not hard. And I'll just give you our own experience. Um... As our kids were particularly teenagers, we did it all throughout, but we, we were very intentional when they were uh, in their teenage years, very crucial years. And Cami and I, together, it wasn't just a, a mom thing. So guys, you might be saying, well, this sounds like kind of for the lady. No, no, no. Men, you have to step up and take lead, okay? Um, we worked together to create an environment around the family table at least three to four times a week. That didn't mean that Cammie spent an entire day in the kitchen cooking. She learned how to do some very simple kinds of things that the kids really enjoyed. But we would set an atmosphere where we came to the table together. And our kids knew that this was going to happen. It was very few excuses that could get you out of it. And, but we created a real fun time. Uh, we, we talked. We laughed. But here's why. We intentionally made Jesus the centerpiece of our table. We, we, we were intentional. And what did that look like? It just looked like we were ourselves. And we allowed Jesus to be the focus. You might not have even heard Jesus in any of the conversations, but Jesus was the focus. And as we sat around the table and we created this atmosphere around the family table, we experienced the presence of God. But here's also what happened. We learned more about our two teenage boys than if we had sat and asked them a thousand questions. Simply because we set an atmosphere. And they just started talking. We get them laughing, and next thing you know, they're telling on themselves. <laughs> Aha! Got it. We learned not to react outwardly at the table, but react inwardly so that there was an open place to talk. Um, we learned, because Jesus was the centerpiece, that as they were talking, we learned uh, how to pray for them. And there were conversations that we had at the table that did direct them in a godly path because we, t- we were intentional about setting the family table at home. So one of the best places to eat is at the family table at home. Here's the second place. Um, we experienced the supernatural presence of Jesus as we set the table at church. As we set the table at church. Would you look at for, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, I'm going to read in verse 23. Again, in verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what Paul is doing in this portion of the passage is he's giving instruction to the Corinthian church on how to properly set the table at church. And the reason he was doing that is if we were to look at the verses just before that, we would find that Paul has actually had to give correction to the Corinthian church. So the Corinthian church, uh, just like the early church, still came together for meals together. uh, And part of that meal was supposed to be a time of remembrance, remembering the Lord's death, his burial, and his resurrection, what we would call communion today. But what was happening is when they came, they came with very selfish motives. Um, they, they, there were divisions among them and, and there was this group and this group and some were excluded and there was, there was arguing among them and, and they were very selfish in what they were doing and they weren't, Jesus wasn't the centerpiece of their table and so Paul offers a correction. He says, when you come together, you're not eating the Lord's Supper, you're just doing your own thing. He, he was correcting them. And here's what I want to say. May we as a church never have to receive that kind of correction from the Lord. But instead, when we come together, we realize that we come together uh, as a sacred gathering, that Jesus will always be the focal point. Jesus will be the centerpiece at this table that we set. And we set this table every, every Sunday, and, and it begins as you prepare to come to church, as you drive on to the, to the parking lot, as you come in, as you um, talk to people, as we worship together, as we hear the message together, as we pray together, uh, then as you leave, all of that is the part of the table that we're setting, and that Jesus is always the focus Jesus, how do, how do we set the table at church? We set it through communion with God, and we set it through community with one another. And Jesus is always the focal point. And then finally, let me say this. We experience the supernatural presence of Jesus as we set a table in the world. And I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because our last series was all about this. I've already read the passage to you uh, where Jesus said it's not the, the, health, uh, the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. Um, so w- w- just what I want to say is that we have the opportunity to set a table in the world as we live on mission. We have an opportunity in the workplace, in the break room, uh, when we go out to lunch with someone, wherever we are, uh, at the, in, the, in the school cafeteria, in the lunchroom, we have an opportunity to live on mission and set a table that allows Jesus to be the centerpiece and that the people that we are encountering experience the love of Jesus because we're loving them as we set the table. It's amazing the kinds of things that you can learn about people when you set the table and then you're able to have spiritual conversations. We're able to have spiritual conversations. So as I close today, I just want to ask this. What would happen if we made Jesus the centerpiece of every table that we sat at? Even if we weren't the host, what if we had the opportunity to make Jesus the centerpiece? How might that change our families? How might that change our neighborhood? How might that change the world that we live in? I think we can do it. So let's reclaim the principle, the spiritual principle of the table. Would you stand? I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I ask that we would be a people who reclaim the the table. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the bread of life. Thank you that you are our nourishment. And thank you that when we come to the table, we bring you. And I ask that you be the 
centerpiece, the focal point of every table we find ourselves sitting at. I pray that we never forget the significance of the table as taught throughout the Bible and as we live out in our lives today. I pray this over this people and I pray a blessing of peace and prosperity and health and happiness and wholeness over everyone in this room. I pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.